Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Chef Yuvanga, Love Lost and Found, The Story of Mel Brown, Bell, and more. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub. It features the e-bar, a bookstore, a cinema, and a restaurant. It's all located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Creative Control with Vish Khan. Nat Baldwin is on the show today of Dirty Projectors. He's got a solo album out called In the Hollows. Really interesting. He combines double bass and strings and some percussion with his voice. Really cool lyricist. Uh, nice singer. I like the record a lot. And uh, yeah, so he's playing the Hillside Festival July 26th in Guelph and uh, playing Toronto, Montreal, and some other places, too. Here, Nat and I talk about his uh, musical upbringing, uh, his interest in marathon running and how it connects uh, with music. In fact, his interest in athletics. We spent a good chunk of time just talking about Larry Bird. I, I enjoyed this conversation, and he's a seems like a nice fellow. So uh, here it is, myself and Nat Baldwin. Oh, you're going to hear a song from In the Hollows as well uh, by the end of the show. So stay tuned. Hillside is less than a month away, and in case you forgot to buy your tickets, don't worry. Single-day tickets are still available for Friday, July 25th and Sunday, July 27th. Come be part of an engaging weekend of music, art, community, and celebration featuring artists such as Tegan and Sarah, Fortet, Baja Bulat, Hey Rosetta, various spoken word performers, children's music, neighborhood organizations, craft and food vendors, workshops, and much, much more. Tickets are available online at www.ticketbreak.ca and also at retailers across southern Ontario, such as The Bookshelf and The Beat Goes On here in Guelph, Soundscapes in Toronto, and Encore Records in Kitchener. Hillside is a physically accessible event. Get your tickets before they are gone, as you do not want to miss out on this year's Hillside experience.
Nat Baldwin is a talented double bassist, singer, and songwriter who originally hails from the state of New Hampshire but lives in Maine. Baldwin is a skilled musician who studied with jazz and improvised music giant Anthony Braxton, and for the past decade he's been a member of the Brooklyn, New York band Dirty Projectors. In 2011, Baldwin released People Changes, his second solo album, and this year brings us its captivating, lovely follow-up, In the Hollows, which is available now via Western Vinyl. He's returning to Canada for shows in Toronto, Montreal, and Guelph's Hillside Festival at the end of July. Here to discuss this further is Nat Baldwin. Hi, Nat. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. Now, where in the world are you, Nat? Um, I am at my house in Kittery, Maine, which is uh, it's a little town on the coast of Maine. Um, it's right on the border of, of New Hampshire. Um, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty little, pretty little place. I live on Love Lane, uh, so it's it's pretty it's pretty idyllic. <laughs> and it sounds like you have a squeaky screen door. Is that what that was? Yes, exactly. My my <laughs> my roommate uh, works at a bar and sleeps really late, so he's still sleeping uh, right now. And uh, I didn't want to bother him, so now I'm just pacing around our front yard. I see that. I see that. Well, it's it's nice to chat with you. Now, I want to begin by asking about the record, In the Hollows, which I believe was at least partially inspired by your training for a marathon. Uh, and if that's correct, I'm curious, how do you see the influence of that training manifesting itself in these songs? Yeah, I think, um, well, it wasn't necessarily inf- influenced by the, the training, but they were sort of done... Um, they were sort of happening in, in tandem. Um, I was training for this marathon, which, uh, unfortunately I didn't get to do. Um, so (laughs) because I, um, uh, I injured myself right before, right before the race. So, um, that sucks. So that was, (laughs) so that brought up a lot of, uh, a lot of other things, uh, um, that maybe came into the record a little bit lyrically, um, just about, uh, you know, what the, the idea of like the process going through the process of something, um, versus, versus the, the results. And so I had to, I had to sort of, uh, deal with the, um, or make sense of, uh, of the fact that I had had worked so hard for something that I that I did not um, get to see uh, get to see that hard work come to to fruition. So, but but I did get I got so much out of the um, out of the training, um, and uh, and not, not to mention a lot of, a lot of this material did was sort of created in 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 tandem. Um, uh, with the training. So, um, so I, I, I think it was still was, even though I didn't get to do, do the race, I still, uh, you know, learned a lot through that, through that whole process. And it was, um, it was, you know, beneficial and, uh, and just, you know, one of those sort of essential things to, to, uh, go through as, as we, as I, you know, develop and grow or, or whatever. Um, so 
you know, I didn't, I didn't get to finish the race. So then, it, then it was like, well, you know, was it, was it even worth it to do, do all this if I wasn't able to, um, uh, see the, see the results of, of the hard work. And, um, and yeah, I did, I, I definitely did get a lot out of, um, just going through, going through the training and the, and the, um, the process of that, um, it, it was, it, it was, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, it would have been great to do the race, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I, I feel like the process of, of just going through the, the training was, um, was satisfying enough, um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it was a really, it was a really, really great experience. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, looking back, I, I would have trained a little differently. Part of why, why I got hurt is I, um, trained too hard. Um, and, um, so it, it would have been my first marathon. So, so yeah, I would have, I would have done, done things a little bit, a little bit differently. I think I got a little overconfident or something. And have you, have you subsequently done, tried to do training for another marathon? Um, nope, I haven't. I, it's, it's actually been sort of an ongoing, it, I developed a tendonitis in my heel, my Achilles heel. Oh man. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been ongoing, it's, or it's just been sort of off and on and I haven't been able to run. This was three years ago now and I haven't, haven't really run consistently since then, not only because that, but also because my schedule has been, um, has been pretty crazy since then. Um, so, um, so yeah. And, and because of that, I haven't really been able to, uh, take care of it properly. So I've sort of gone in and out. I did some phys- physical, uh, what's it called? Training, uh, phys- uh, therapy. Physiotherapy. Yeah. 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 I, and, um, and, but it's just, and I've tried other things. I did went to acupuncture for a little bit and, um, and basically now I'm at, I'm at the point where I can run without, without pain, but I'm still just, uh, I'm still sort of, uh, just wary of it or, and, and, uh, um, but I, yeah, I don't, after this trip to Canada, I have a pretty open schedule, so maybe I'll be able to dedicate some more time and get, get back into it. But yeah, it was, it was doing the training was really a great experience and it did, um, it did produce a lot of material. Not only did I have the, the time I was sort of like, um, cause I had just these few months where I was home and, um, and because of the training, I wasn't like going out at all. I, I was, I was, uh, just in like a very focused, um, state of mind, um, which I think translated into, into the music. I was, um, you know, training in the mornings, resting in the afternoons and, and then, um, working on music at night, late, late at afternoon and then into the night. And, um, yeah, I th- so I think the sort of focus that was required, um, of me to do, to do all the training kind of, um, uh, uh, definitely is connected to, um, you know, being able to, uh, focus on making making music um um i i've always said when i write when i write songs i've always had to be in sort of this 
manic or just this sort of immersive uh, state um, where uh, where the where things sort of come out in in bursts. I'm not the kind of uh, writer that is. I'm not like always writing music. Um, you know, I don't I don't I don't work on music every day. But when I when I am working on it and write and and uh, writing you know a new batch of songs for for an album or 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 for whatever um i'm working on it really really um intensely and it's and it's sort of a immersive experience so so having that um in tandem with the with the training they kind of they they definitely work together because they both um both of the um processes are 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 similar for me um Right, and you mentioned that not running the marathon actually had quite a significant impact on the songs you wrote for this record. Is this the first time that you've encountered a situation where something you've normally been able to do uh, physically or whatever, all of a sudden that was taken away from you? Did that have a profound impact on you? Like you weren't able to run anymore. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I I think so. I I don't know... I don't know that I that I've had or no, yeah, I definitely haven't had an, an experience um, like that. I also haven't, you know, since in my adult, I, I played I played basketball gro- growing up, and that was a very important part of my life until until I got into music, and music kind of took its took its place um, when I was about eighteen. But um, but yeah, so I haven't really. This was sort of the first um, physical, like athletic, uh, challenge that I had taken on in a in a long time. So, um, so yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really I hadn't really encountered any anything like it. Hmm. Um, and, and one of the figures that, to my understanding, one of the figures that kind of lurks within this record is a specter on this record is Steve Prefontaine. <laughs> yeah. Well, he. I mean, he's just. Just so people who don't know, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name. Is that how you say it? No. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, he's just he's just like this iconic uh, figure in in American, uh, you know, distance running. Yeah, he was a middle and long distance runner, and he died young in a car accident. And and I know that that he kind of, in a way, he's on this record somehow. His presence is there. How so? Um, well, I just, I, I just sort of, you know, you have to find a couple little things or, or I found that I needed to find, find little, um, pieces of inspiration in, in order to, um, you know, under, undertake the, the, um, all the, all the training and, and, um, yeah, he's just sort of a cla- classic, um, figure in, in, in American sports and, uh, well, in, yeah, in in running and uh, and he he was he he was uh, he was really brash, like really really confident. Um, he has he has a bunch of he, he was very quote worthy. So he had a lot of um, uh, often funny, but but they were really intense too. It was really. Uh, um, he he was the kind of kind of runner where maybe he wasn't quite as as talented, but he would uh, or he I mean he was immensely talented, but he um, he was 
he was into beating beating people more on just sheer will and guts and um and there's just something about that um that intensity that that uh that just resonates um with me um and and so i i would just, i would think about i had some of his quotes kind of like you know uh running through my head at various times um that uh that kind of pushed pushed me through some of the some of the trainings that sort of became these these kind of these kind of mantras or something um yeah it's really interesting to me like your music i don't think is necessarily something that people would associate with sports yet your first album is called most valuable player your second album people changes has you on the cover shirtless and holding a basketball yeah kind of primal and now in the hollows (laughs) touches upon from what i can gather it touches upon long distance running boxing bodybuilding yeah. <laughs> hand-eye coordination among other things are there parallels between your fascination with music and athletics that uh, you'd like to share because I, I i find it interesting yeah well i i think so i mean um i've always found a, a lot of parallels between um between sp- sports and music and uh, i mean it it I think it, it manifests in different ways. Um, I mean, just on the surface, my, my music, I think, uh, with the sort of, um, propulsive, uh, nature of the, of the Boeing, the, the bass playing, the sort of, um, constant sort of staccato, um, eighth note, uh, like foundation that is, that is often, um, uh, um, at the at the at the core of um, of a lot of the songs, um, that that definitely has uh, has a connection to um, well r- running, I guess more more specifically than just other, but like this sort of uh, just re- repetitive um, um, repetitive quality of this sort of, and it almost becomes like a drone or something. I mean. And the same thing with with running, you know, it's just you're just just one one step after the other, and it's very very um, rhythmic in that way. You know, yeah, you're just yeah. just like running down the street, like you know, it's just like eighth notes. You know, um, this is an important reason why runners uh, will, if they're listening to music while they're running, they need to have a certain sort of tempo and pace. Like they'll they'll make playlists yeah. that kind of make sense for someone who's engaging in that activity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um but yeah, so so I I think there's there's a there's a direct r- relation um uh with that and then but then there are other like um I've I've always I, I've talked about this before but like the um the like being being in a band I feel like being in a band and being on a team um is is very 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 similar um so i mean and i guess maybe for obvious reasons too but i mean it's like you you have um at least for basketball which is my main sport of interest um as well as running but um but with with basketball you know you have five people on the on the court at the same time um and that's you know on average maybe that's that's a band and during projectors we have six people but mm-hmm. 
you know, and then on, on the team, you have everyone has their roles. Um, not everyone is is the star, you know, not and in a band, not everyone's the lead singer. You know, there's a, there's a lead singer and then everyone kind of fills in um, the different roles around that person. And that's the same way on a basketball court, you know. Um, so there's para, there's a there's just, yeah, myriad parallels between between the two um uh as well as just the dynamics personality wise too and 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 fitting fitting the right pieces together to um go out and 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 as well as the preparation like the preparation that goes into going on a tour or making a record or um or just uh you know playing a big show or writing writing you know that's all that's all very similar to teams just preparing for the season or preparing preparing for an upcoming um opponent something more specific or you know so it's um and then to take it even further back preparation wise it's like um uh just doing individual work like you're as a as a basketball player when i was younger i i did a lot of practicing on my own just did a lot of drills like a lot of repetitive uh you know dribbling drills and uh shooting shoot shoot 500 shots a day from the same spot or something something like that Um, right right and and it's it was the same when i switched over to playing music it was very similar um you know i would i um it, it was a natural uh a natural transition because i just i i started late i started when i was um 18. So I, I immediately, I had a lot of catching up to do. So, but I immediately, um, uh, started practicing, um, sort of taking those same principles, um, from my athletic days, uh, and started, um, you know, doing essentially the equivalent of drill drills, like doing, doing scales and doing all that stuff. It, it felt, felt very much very much similar very much the same um and so uh so i was able to employ a lot of a lot of the same uh approaches into into music as i as i once did uh with sports yeah and it totally makes complete sense i mean i've heard other people kind of discuss this theory as well and in particular basketball teams and bands seem maybe among the most similar you've got kind of set plays going up the floor which are kind of like yeah. songs yeah and then yeah. and then any improvisation that happens is like kind of like a little jam right right <laughs> <laughs> you know you're kind of making stuff up as you go but you're kind of going in with a plan and then just reacting to the moment and, exactly and yeah as, as someone like you who kind of straddles these worlds of uh you know avant jazz and improvisation and pop oriented frameworks yeah that, that must be appealing to you definitely definitely yeah yeah. And in making this album you followed a kind of pretty regimented like you had a regiment, you had a schedule, right? You mentioned it yeah. earlier. You would kind of do your marathon running and training in the morning. Yeah. And then also like you would do the music kind of after, but within that there was reading, right? You would read lots of books. Yeah, I had I had to I mean I I I the training was t- was taking such a toll. I mean, I I I had to uh, recover from, from that. I couldn't, I, luckily I had the time. I don't know how people 
train for marathons and then just go about have a normal life. Luckily, I had I didn't have anything going on for these <laughs> few months. But um, uh, yeah, I just so I would do the running and then just kind of lie lie around and and not use my not not move <laughs> stay stationary for the for the afternoon um and you and would you would read what would you predominantly read what kind of books were you reading mo- mostly fi- fiction well yeah pr- pr- yeah primarily fic- fiction short stories and and uh and novels um and uh yeah i sort of that that was like the beginning i mean now i i read a ton it's it's sort of become uh i don't know my main like that's it, it's gone from like sort of a, a hobby or something to like an obsession so i i and that was kind of the beginning of of getting into more like contemporary literature um which i was just realizing uh like you know that that there is this sort of underground or not not necessarily under underground but um uh th- there is this this scene of 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 contemporary younger um writers that is totally similar and, and parallels the that of uh of the music scene so th- that somehow that was like a big revelation like i mean it se- seems silly but yeah of course of course there there is that um happening and I, I was reading a lot of uh you know older books and class classic stuff which is which is amazing too and i still uh, i was and still uh still read stuff like that but then but when i came to this realization that like you know um after all the thinking about all the connections and sort of the diy scene uh, coming from that with uh, and and living in Brooklyn for a little bit and there being this like really really kind of connected um, community of of musicians um, and then realizing that that whole that exists in all 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 the, all the different uh, mediums you know every art and form the, every art form has yeah, this network yeah of of course yeah and so 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 when I realized that with um, that there are all these that there's all this uh, you know contemporary literature that that once I started checking a few things out, I, it was really really um, exciting to me. And then figuring out, I mean, the same way when you get into bands and stuff, you figure out who who's connected to who and who, and then what they were in, you know, what what got them to where they were, who they were influenced by, um, and um, and so it's just this long thread, this this really um, uh, amazing, you know, web of uh, of uh, you know never-ending knowledge of this of this these these different scenes. Um, so anyway, anyway, yeah, that was sort of the that that period was kind of the beginning of of um, of figuring that out and sort of a new new direction. Uh, for for my like reading reading interests um and that that has that has since um brought like i've i've made a lot of a lot of friends in the in the um lit community um i've i've gone to some festivals that um that have a strong literature 
um, component to them, not, not just music, music festivals, but like, um, uh, yeah, really cool. Um, I met some really amazing and inspiring, um, young, younger writers. Um, and they, they've, they've certainly inspired me as, as much or, or more than a lot of, uh, music that's happening too. So it's been, it made some really nice, um, um, friendships through that. And yeah. so, so that, that period was kind of the beginning, beginning of that, which is, which has been really important since as well. Yeah, no, that's cool. Are there any particular titles or authors that you can cite? Yeah, well, the, I guess the first, I mean, I was really, um, the kind of bridge into this, I think was, um, was Barry Hanna, who he died a couple years ago, but he was, he was a really prolific, um, writer from the south he's from uh uh he's from mississippi um i think he put out his first first books were on grove press which is kind of a better known indie press yeah um uh and it uh he or maybe he was first published by knopf uh and then a lot of and then grove has reissued a lot of his stuff or something like that but um yeah, he he was putting stuff out in the early '70s up until he died just a few years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, his stuff is it's really it's really gritty. It's got that kind of dirty you know dirty realism of the of the South, but it's um, but it sort of borders. I mean, he also has um, he also gets grouped with with some of the postmodern guys like Bartholomew and Coover and stuff. Um, he's, so he's sort of like walks, walks the line, um, hmm. uh, between, between these worlds. And, uh, um, he just seems, he seems to be just like universally loved by, by a lot of, uh, by people coming from a lot of different, um, different places. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, I, I really loved his stuff. He, ha- he has a book called Airships. Which is a story collection and a and a short novel called Ray, which is really awesome. And uh, and um, was, was was Ray the basis of the Ray Charles biopic? Ray. <laughs> oh man, I I wish I would. <laughs> I yeah, that'll maybe that'll be the sequel. That'll be the sequel, sure. Yeah. Um, and and so I I found some contemporary folks that that cited him as, and so as like an influencer. Um, and so, so I started checking them out and, and then that, that just led to, to, uh, led to so much more. But I, I think one of the first guys that I checked out, that's like a younger, you know, or like my, you know, in his thirties, uh, younger writer, um, is Blake Butler. Hmm. Um, and he, He's really, really great. I I don't know, um, I don't I don't know any any other writing like his. Really, it's really um, it's really layered and and textured and and dense and requires a requires a lot of the of the reader. But it's but it's uh, but it's very rewarding. Um, uh, and he has a new novel coming out called, I think it's called 300 million or something. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's coming out later this year on Harper 
Harper Perennial, I think, which is kind of a bigger thing. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of these folks, yeah, they they come from, like I think his first book came out on Featherproof, which is a really small and really awesome um, indie press from Chicago. Um, and and so I've, I've sort of got into a lot of people through places like that. And then a couple, couple books later, they, they might be on FSG or... Uh, or Harper or Melville House or something. They get picked up by like that. So by, it's pretty cool. Major, yeah, major publishers, right? Yeah, so it's pretty cool to see see the progression and to see like, you know, to have gotten their first first couple books at at that at that moment as they were they were developing. There, there's a couple others like Lindsay Hunter and uh, Amelia Gray. They're they're putting out books on FSG now, and um, which is a great um, kind of bigger publisher for our Strauss and Giroux is the full name um and uh yeah they both they both have books coming out th- this year and they were they were two people uh Lindsay Hunter I think was the first uh person that I saw re that I that I re- realized that going going to a reading can actually be uh a you know super exciting um experience not just like this kind of you think of going to a reading going to like a poetry reading or something like this uh sort of st- uh, stuffy kind of academic uh setting or something but but she's she uh totally turned that kind of stereotype around when i saw her read at, at pitchfork festival actually yeah. and she um she's just super intense and um uh, really has a unique uh, personal um, reading style uh, uh, and and writing style. I mean, um, had a lot to do with what she was saying too. But um, uh, so seeing seeing that um, uh, up close was was also really really inspiring. Um, and then talking to her, super nice and so so sweet and. Uh, she sent me her next book, uh, which was really nice, and we've just sort of kept in touch um, ever since. And we've run into each other at some other other festivals um, that that in, incorporate a literary component. Um, uh, and I agree. So, so I agree, it's been nice. I agree with you. I think a captivating reader, uh, you know, a, a captivating author presenting their work is is not something to be missed. And uh, I think you're yeah. right. There's maybe a reputation of it being a bit stodgy and stilted, but it's it can be actually one of the most engaging things you see someone do. So it's it's cool that you made that discovery as well. And and, and I mean, I'm also seeing a, a through line uh, between your, your reading habits and the songs that ended up on, on this record in The Hollows. There's a lot of literary flourishes. And in fact, the, the song Cosmos Pose possesses yeah. a really striking lyric to me. Do what you do best kill yourself with poses and i yeah. <laughs> and i thought is this about suicide or bodybuilding or what is this what is this song about uh, can you kind of uh, elaborate yeah on it? i i don't want to um like divulge too too much but it does yeah it does come it comes it comes from the it it, do, it comes from something i was reading at the time and it was uh, or or that the idea the, the the lyrics were inspired by that but um yeah, it, it is it is sort of um, about like a, a body. The, the poses was like a direct um, 
um, uh, reference to um, bodybuilding. <laughs> okay, I was right. I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's a, um, it's, a, it's a haunting line to me. It really stuck out among a, a lot of great lyrics on here, but that cool. one, I thought, do what you do best, kill yourself, and then with poses. It's also phrased in a very clever way, like almost a dramatic way. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> are you, are, and I think that death has, is, you know, we talked about earlier about Steve Prefontaine, but death seems to lurk on this record. Are, are, were you preoccupied with death in some way as you were writing the songs here? Um, not in, not in any, um, not any, any more than usual. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's some, something that's always, always, uh, always there. It's coming, it's coming for us all. Right. Yeah. And it becomes more immediate <laughs> um, for others. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess it is uh Like when you step back and look at this record, do you see that? I mean, I, I see several references. Yeah. yeah. Def- definitely. Yeah. But given um, given what you were reading and what you were going through yourself in terms of your body breaking down, it could have come yeah. it could have come from anywhere. Right, right. I think I think there is there is definitely a some sort of thread between all that that uh that looking back and analyzing it, it would it would make sense. Yeah, but it's still. I mean, I'm still trying to make sense of it all. I guess too. Yeah, and the music uh, is is really wonderful too. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 quite a, a remarkable soundtrack for these ideas. And I'm curious if we can go back in time a little bit with you, Nat, and and find out how you first got into music uh, as a listener, as a player. When do you rec- recall your first engagement with music? Um, yeah. Well, my my dad's a musician. Um, so he, he plays saxophone and he sings and he's got a band, um, that, uh, they're, uh, they're old, they're old now, old, old timers. So they, they mostly play like uh, private, you know, weddings, uh, um, for the, few people that that actually get a band and not a dj now but so that's fewer and fewer but they yeah they play weddings and i'm in a wedding um, band i'm in a wedding band that's awesome okay yeah, it's fun we just played like 32 songs on saturday night at in some awesome. like a beach resort town we got to go swimming in a lake and and then play 32 i rapped i did a lot of rapping <laughs> nice. did some kanye wow. kanye jay-z stuff eminem it was fun that sounds great it's, um, it's kind of interesting going from being a working musician and writing your own songs and playing to small audiences to being thrust into that environment. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Environment where everyone is just very eager to have a great time. They're not just, you know, sitting at the back right. of the bar... <laughs> deciding whether or not they're going to buy your merch. It's just like a totally different atmosphere. And it's actually, I, I was initially quite cynical, but it's actually right. fun to play for a crowd that wants to have fun. Right. And in a, yeah, it must be re rewarding in a, in a totally different, um, in a totally different way. And in a way that, yeah, I could see that I could see going into it being kind of, kind of cynical or something, something, but well, yeah, but I, mean, yeah when I you, can also see how it could, how it could, could be really, just you know you let all that go and it's it's must just be a blast yeah I mean. and also as a musician you when you have to play in our case we're emulating like weirdly produced beyonce songs or some like a pitbull song or something weird where the drums don't really make that much sense and or or and i'm talking about drums because i'm a drummer and anyway yeah. you're kind of like you got to force yourself to do stuff you would never think of doing in a way like it's right. not necessarily real <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're kind of trying to emulate it. Anyway, I find it quite fascinating learning. And I mean, surely you've done some covers. I mean, I guess Dirty Projectors are known for at least covering, in a sense, covering a record um, yeah, by Black yeah. Flag. So when you cover other people's stuff, I think I used to be cynical of it because I also thought, well, this isn't the real thing. I like writing and making yeah. my own stuff. But I actually did find it uh, kind of insightful. So it's it's interesting that your dad... So what's your dad's name? What's the name of the band? Ben Baldwin and the Big Note. Ben Baldwin and the Big Note? Yep. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's a good name. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so he's been doing it for a really long time. I mean, so he, he used to, like, in the town next to us now, uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, um, used to be a place where you could play... Um, you could play like every night of the week, basically. I mean, he, I guess they played, they played around, around the, the general area, but Portsmouth was kind of the, the hub. Um, and, uh, yeah, he would play, they would just play in bars like six nights a week, all, all through the eighties, um, which was when I was growing up. So I would go, I would go to his shows, um, a lot. And that, so that, those are my earliest, um, my earliest memories and like he they, he would let me me go up on stage and they would just turn the microphone off and i would just like dance around and sing and sing like i knew the song so that he played like old like a lot of sam cook oh, okay. stuff and uh ray charles stuff so kind of like old soul and r&b like um uh and some older older like swing stuff like louis jordan and uh and stuff like that um so so i i loved that um that music when i was a, when i was a kid uh, and still do but uh but that that was my first um first exposure and earliest memories um he also had a an acapella group and he was the he was the lone uh male in the group so oh. he sang all the he sang all the bass 
the bass notes, uh, and and then there were three um, women, and so it was a f- four of them. They were called the Moonbeams, nice. and and uh, they they actually um, this is great. It sort of brings it all together. To uh, they would sing the anthem um, at the Boston Celtics games um or they did they, not all the time they they did that maybe like 10 times or something wow, so that's amazing when i when i was a kid i i got to go to those games and they'd get really really good seats um and that was in the 80s that was when the celtics were uh were ruling like they were you know they i think they won three championships in the 80s uh really? that so was you, when you saw bird and everybody you saw those guys yeah wow yeah yeah, so so that's some of my early sort of musical and athletic um, memories was was going to those games, watching them sing the anthem, and then uh, and then watching watching Bird. That's amazing. Um, I just ordered. I just I'm wearing. I'm not wearing it right now. I've been wearing it for a while. I just got this. They, you can buy like a, the NBA is doing a cool thing. They got T-shirts that are like the jerseys, so you don't have to like. I I was always self-conscious wearing. A basketball jersey because it's kind of a weird thing. You got your armpit hair all hanging out there. You know, it's a sleeveless, <laughs> sleeveless garment. Right. I've never been fond of it. But they make these certain teams are doing these like replica jerseys, but as t-shirts. And so I got, I oh, just, cool. I, I got a bird one. I got a, an away bird one, and I'm nice. very, very proud of it. I wear it around, and I, I don't know why. I'm just telling you because I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's amazing to me that you got to see Bird. That's crazy. That's great. Yep. Yeah, he's he's uh he's amazing. He's a huge inspiration too. I, I feel like he he like um he he's an amazing example of like taking taking what what your um you know, natural abilities are and just getting the absolute full potential out of your, out of your abilities because he, you know, he obviously, you know, he's known as he's, he wasn't the best athlete on the court, but by a long shot, what was, was slow, couldn't jump, you know, all the kind of stereotypes of, 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 uh, of, and uh, a lacking lacking athlete on the, especially in in the NBA when there's when there's so much to that it's all about this raw athleticism and um but he just took his skills um to to the point where he was he was killing every, everybody and all all the guys that had had the that natural um ability could couldn't couldn't stop him so no, he, he worked harder than anybody else he just worked the yeah. hardest and and also yeah. had uh you know between him and magic like there were two of the well magic was showtime and bird was too in his own way so like he was really he seemed like really workmanlike and that was kind of what everyone said like he's like this blue collar guy but really he was like an amazingly flashy cocky uh and stellar basketball player like just like one in a million yeah 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 he he was he was special my last tour um i went went out through through the midwest um and i realized i'd never done this before i'd never so he grew up in indiana Mm -hmm. in a little town called french lick and 
I was driving basically right by it, um, and it was a really short drive. I think it was Bloomington to Louisville, which is about two hours. So I had plenty of plenty of time, uh, and so I stopped in the, in this town. I just type on Google Maps, just typed in Larry Bird Boulevard because that that exists in in French Lick now, um, and and just took it to to uh, and and just hung out in his town. That he he has a bar. Um, there or or it's a larry bird themed bar i don't know if he owns it or not but Mm -hmm. there's just larry bird memorabilia everywhere there's a bunch of his original trophies which he allows them to to just keep behind behind glass um oh wow and he also allows them the trophies to be taken out and i noticed somebody getting their picture taken with one so then i went over and and I got my picture taken with a with like his '84 championship trophy or something like that, and uh, just stopped in that bar and and uh, had a Budweiser, got the picture, <laughs> and that and and then moved on. Um, but uh, it was really cool. Um, it was it was a fun fun little excursion on on tour. Um, so yeah, back in back in the '80s, that was. Uh, going to see the moonbeam sing um, and going to the bars to see the big note. Uh, those were the earliest, um, my earliest memories with, with music. And then, but then strangely enough, I, I didn't, I, I didn't take to music for, uh, or I didn't get into playing myself until I was like 18. Um, I, I mean, it was always around the house, and I always, I always liked, um, I always liked music a lot, and liked all the stuff my dad played, and um, and uh, and then got into different things through through high school. But then um, I started, I started getting really into jazz. Um, it was like my primary. Um, interest charles charles mingus and ornette coleman and uh um people like that and then yeah more more kind of pretty immediately into like free jazz stuff um uh there wasn't like a big period where i was totally snobby about straight ahead jazz or something i kind of went straight straight into the strange stuff um so i was really into cecil taylor and albert eiler and then it wasn't too long after that that I got into um, Anthony Braxton, mm-hmm. and um, I guess that was when I was at the Hart School. So I, I got into music my late junior year of high school. Had an electric bass, p- played played that through the summer. Uh, my high school had an upright, so I was like just waiting to get my hands on that. I knew there was something about the ba- the upright specifically that that i was drawn to immediately um and these bass players like charlie hayden and in ornette coleman's group and yeah scott scott lafaro in bill evans trio and um i mean those two are examples of kind of polar opposite styles within within jazz but i but i was really drawn to them they both had really singular unique styles um and uh, and then Charles Mingus, um, who actually now I'm now that I am am saying this out loud, sorting it out. He he seems like he sort of marries the two of those guys. 
yeah. uh, styles. Um, he he can kind of do do both. I mean, I think Mingus is yeah. I think I think Mingus is just the best. But um, are you are you, so, a, are you a William Parker fan at all? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I actually let him. I let him borrow. I I was at. Um, I saw him play a show in Connecticut, and I let him borrow my bass amp. Um, but my bass amp was, was acting, had been acting kind of strange. So I was a little bit worried about it. Um, you know, at the time, I think he was like one of my favorite, favorite bass players and really, uh, excited that he was going to use my amp, but also worried that it wasn't going to work right. So sure enough, like in the middle of one of his solos, the amp just totally cut out. Oh no. Um, and and he got really frustrated and he he just like ripped the cord out of his pickup um it sort of really made a made a show that he that he was not going to use that it, the amp was not working and he was and that he didn't need it and mm-hmm. that he um and that he would he would play the rest of the show acoustically um which which um resulted in in some pretty uh, awesome, ferocious playing. So he he sounded really great, um, just playing acoustically in this in this small room, um, and it worked fine. I mean, it was really it was just a drummer uh, and a trumpet player, just a trio. So he he wasn't battling a ton of uh, uh, a ton of noise. So uh, yeah, he, yeah, he does uh, handle adversity rather well when he's playing. I, he, it ends up making for a much more intense and. And maybe more. It's, it's, I mean, he's already an, an incredibly great musician. But sometimes when something's a little askew, he uses it, and I find yeah. that I find that I find that inspirational. Yeah. Well, yeah. He definitely he definitely did that in this in this instance. Um, <laughs> so it was it was cool. Um, cool to meet him. Um, and so all of this jazz influence. I mean, at some point you ended up playing in the Dirty Projectors. Like, how did that? Uh, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it's sort of hard. Yeah, it's it's so to kind of fast forward. Well, I um, actually stopped playing for a little bit. I moved moved home and was sort of having some early twenties kind of existential crisis uh, issues that maybe many of many can relate to maybe um and uh and so i was home not really knowing what the what what i was doing and uh and wasn't i would sort of lost some lost some inspiration uh or motivation um didn't know what i was doing with music and where it was going so i didn't play i didn't play for almost a couple years and um the way i got back into it was was by writing songs um and i i had never i mean when i was when i was into jazz and this more like more experimental stuff i i didn't even listen i didn't listen to any songs really um like any like melodic based music it was uh uh like i think i don't think i heard like the velvet underground until i was like 23 or something and uh there there were these these whole um 
I, I didn't know there was so much um, that I just didn't even know existed. And so when I when I uh, and 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 that I was really that I ended up be, becoming really drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so yeah, I got into a lot of a lot of different kinds of music while while I was kind of taking this um, uh, what just became a hiatus. Um, but uh and and so when i got back back into music it was through through writing songs and um you know i only know how to play the bass so i i was i i was stuck writing writing songs on an instrument that isn't uh associated often with with songwriting so it works so I made, it, it, for what it's worth it works really well yeah i mean i i love i uh I, 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 I love, I love it. It's sort of, it, it, uh, it sort of pushes you into these little, like there's only so much you can do with it, or at least that I've found to, to be able to do with it. So there, there are definitely some kind of parameters or something, mm-hmm. um, that you have to use that you, that maybe you wouldn't have to on a different, you know, on guitar or piano. And maybe the, maybe the songs wouldn't, they would sound quite different too. I'm not, I don't know if they would, if, if they would, uh, translate or they would definitely have to be, um, manipulated in some way. But, um, but I feel like, yeah, the, the way I've sort of found how songwriting works for me on bass, I, I, uh, I've, there's, it's definitely, definitely provides a, a rich, um, uh, text textural base and and uh, uh, and the, with the harmonics and the and and bowing, there's you know chordal options and um, and and a pretty wide spectrum as far as the the range goes and just wide spectrum of of uh, timbral um, uh, qualities. Uh, so so yeah there's there's really a, a lot a lot there to to work with um and uh and i yeah i just i w- one night i mean i had i hadn't really played my bass for a year and a half or close to two years and i just picked it up one night and um started uh started just started playing the, these songs um like as if they already existed or something um and and ended up just working on working through these song ideas um through, throughout the whole night like i think i was down in my parents basement until you know six or seven in the morning or something mm-hmm. and i and i had a few songs that were like that i thought of as being i mean they were it was they were, they were my first attempts at writing songs, so they were very uh, just these sort of little flashes of of songs, these little uh, kind of skeletal pieces. But they, you know, there'd be a verse and like a little chorus or something, or um, and there there are these little these kind of micro songs, these little two minute songs or something. And I had had a bunch of them just from that first night, and then. Um, uh coincidentally um and very serendip- 
serendipitously, the, my friend called me the next day and said, there's, there's, uh, there was like an experimental music series uh, happening in, in town at that time. And uh, this is in 2004, so 10 years ago. And right. they, they, uh, they said, we have a cancellation for tonight. Uh, do you want to do your solo? Because I, 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 I had done some solo bass stuff uh, in the past when I was studying with Braxton and made an album of, of like these really out there noisy textural um solo bass music and so my friend was like oh, i haven't you know i know you haven't done it in a while but i'd love i think that would like work really well for the show tonight if you wanted to uh dust off the bass and come come down and uh and i said well i have i i actually just started uh working on a some new stuff last night and uh you know it's it's not at all what you what you're expecting um and i don't know if it'll work as well with whatever is happening uh but do you mind you mind if i try if i just do that try that out and of course he's he said yeah whatever whatever you want to do it's and uh so my first show was just the day after or or if you want to look at i mean the night of uh after staying up all night um it was just that that first day um and uh and played played a show i think uh i played it totally acoustically i just sort of brought uh the the crowd in i came in the middle of the crowd off the stage and just uh sang these songs i'd never sung before i'd always been um pretty um reluctant um or just uh yeah not uh I, even in like ear training class in college i hated singing i hate um but so so it was uh it was a challenge to uh to um work up the the balls to be able to do that and so i <laughs> so i um i did it and it went pretty well i guess as mm -hmm. well as it could have gone and um i think i somebody somebody recorded it uh and i took that recording it's it seems so silly and and uh just kind of naive now but um i took that recording and started just sending that to like venues and stuff and like get i just immediately started to um try to tour and uh like just play i had some friends that were playing a lot of like house shows and doing like super diy stuff all around new england and then out into the midwest and stuff and so they had accumulated some contacts so i was, so I, I acquired those from them and then would just like look up venues and um and just try to tour as much as I could as immediately as possible. So I, I started sending out that recording of, and I think I played six, six little songs and like, uh, maybe one or two of them had words. Like they weren't even, they were just these little fragments of, of things. Um, and, uh, 
And so, but I did, I, I, I did start touring basically uh, that was in the summer of 2004. Hmm. And then I just kind of latched on to a couple other, uh, people that were friends that were, that were traveling, jumped on their tours, um, did a couple of my own and just toured all through the fall, um, of that, of that year to late 2004. And it was at that time that I met, uh, Dave, Longstreth from Dirty Projectors. We had I had heard about him, and we had a bunch of mutual friends. And so when I was starting to uh, want to set up my own tours and play shows all around, I uh, and was asking for contacts from people. Um, a lot of people gave me his his contacts, and they and they said, you know, I think you'd really like his music a lot too. Um, and uh, so. So I contacted him. He was still in school. He went to Yale in New Haven. So I, I did a tour and he set up a, a house show, just brought a bunch of his friends uh, from school. And we basically just had a party. Um, and uh, and he, I think we did another, I did another the next cement, like early, uh, early that next year, 2005. And then um, he needed a bass player for his next, uh, for like a radio show or something. I went down and played this radio show. And then a couple months later, he was doing a tour and, uh, asked me to do that. And I jumped on board for that. Um, so that was like 2005 was the first, uh, tour I did with, with Dairy Projectors only a few, few months after I met Dave, um, and uh yeah i mean we just hit hit it off right away right away um you know connected on a lot of different levels i and i love loved his uh music immediately um and uh so it was a it was a exciting exciting time for for sure um and it and it kind of leads us to now i mean all of this is kind of you have this rare creative confluence of yeah. being able to do your own thing and, and, and also play in a band that uh, people really love in, in the Dirty Projectors. Um, I'm curious about both uh, entities. What's sort of next for you and for Dirty Projectors? It's been a couple of years since their record, your record. Uh, yeah. I, wait, I guess 2012 was uh, Swing Low Magellan? Yeah, was it? I, yeah. Right. Yep. And then yes, summer 2012. Yeah, and and you've just recently put out uh, a record, but uh, and are touring behind it. Can you give us a sense of what's next for both uh, projects? Um, I I don't know as 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 far as Dirty Projectors. We we are um, everyone is really busy doing doing their own things. Uh, Amber Amber Kaufman. Um, uh, is is making making a record. Uh, Olga Bell just uh, just came out with a solo record, which is really great. Came, uh, came out on the same day as mine, I think, in April. Um, oh, competition. That must, <laughs> that must have got you up there. You were like, oh, all right, here we go. She's your, yeah. Now is, yeah. is she your magic? If you're Larry Bird, she's magic. I guess is that how it's going to work. <laughs> I hope not. No, I, I, she's, she's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, the record, our records are, are very different. Yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, and hers is, hers is amazing. Um, uh, I still haven't seen, oh, I've seen her play her, her, 
I've seen her solo um, live, but I th- this record is is pretty dense, um, uh, and I haven't seen I haven't seen this this version of her music um, with a full with a full band yet, but I'm excited to. Um, so she's been keeping busy. Haley, the other um, uh, woman in the group, uh, she's been working on working on her own music. Um, Mike Johnson, the drummer, he plays in an awesome band called Glass Ghost. Hmm. Uh, they have a record coming out on Western Vinyl, who puts out my records yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, that's coming out in the fall. Um, and Dave's been Dave's been writing. Uh, he's kind of he seems sort of the opposite of me. I sort of write in these bursts. Um, he's he just kind of writes all the time. Uh, I mean, much much more when he had when he has the kind of time that he does now you know we're sort of on a little on a little break and uh working towards whatever the next thing is so he he his this time is dedicated to writing but even on tour he'll be writing stuff um he just writes all the time so um you know i I, so i never worry about i'm sure whatever he's working on is is uh is is going to be great so the, um, so the band is a bit scattered at the moment, but working, exactly. working on. You assume it will reconvene. It's when, when the time is right. Yep. Yeah. I just I just don't know when when that'll be, but right. um, but whenever it is, it'll it'll be fun. I'll be excited. Um, and then I don't. I hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have um, some things coming up in the fall. Uh, but uh, nothing. Uh, nothing's on the on the schedule right now. So after these uh, after this Canadian trip, uh, which I'm very psyched for, um, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's nothing nothing after that. So um, maybe maybe a trip to Europe in the fall or or early um, early fifteen. Um, I'd love to do another tour of the states and uh, and hopefully come back to Canada maybe in the fall. Um, uh, but nothing's lined up right now. Have so you, have you already set about uh, working on a, a follow up to uh, In the Hollows? I have not. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fair. I, yep not 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 yet. I um, actually as a I mean so right now. Um, I'm only only a few days back from a from a pretty long tour, um, and uh, before that, I just had sort of scattered shows, a lot of in and out of town since the album came out, which was uh, in April, hmm. and so so I just haven't had haven't any any time. I've I've been home for about a week since this this tour, and uh, and I'm re- I'm ready to just relax for a little bit. Um, and I haven't even had a. Just this week has been actually. I feel like I'm still on tour because I've had I've had friends coming coming through town that are, where that they're on tour. So I'm just I've spent a lot of time at shows this past week. I'm ready to, ready for some quiet. So maybe <laughs> but, maybe, um, maybe get some books read. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually I did that yesterday. Yeah. I spent a, spent most of the day yesterday, uh, reading, which was which was great um and today it's gorgeous day out so um i think 
think I I'm gonna try to enjoy it some in some way. Nice. Um, well, I want to let folks know once again the new Nat Baldwin album is called In the Hollows, uh, which you can obtain now via Western Vinyl. And uh, Baldwin has a couple of shows in Massachusetts later this month, and, and then he plays The Monarch in Toronto on July 24th, Castle del Popolo in Montreal on July 25th, and Guelph's Hillside Festival on July 26th. For more information, please visit westernvinyl.com. Uh, Nat, is there a song from uh, In the Hollows that we can play for folks right now? Oh yeah. Um which one should it be? Uh um I leave it to you, my friend. Maybe um maybe let's go <laughs> let's go let's go with knockout. Um there's a new there's a new video um directed by Zia Ang Anger um that uh that just came out for knockout. Okay. So that's that's worth that's worth checking out, but uh, that's a that'd be a nice one to hear from the album, I think. All right, cool. Here it is. This is Knockout by Nat Baldwin. Nat, great pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your time, and I I look forward to seeing you in Guelph, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. You too. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.